You're listening to the Ghost Goal Podcast. Gerard with space. Tick towards Barosh. He's beat Tick through it. The goalkeeper made contact. Luis Garcia was in front of the line. Gallas hooked it away. managed to hold on for a draw at home against champions Manchester City. Arsenal got their first win of the Unai Emery era, beating West Ham 3-1. Liverpool got a well-fought 1-0 win against Brighton. Chelsea got over their duck with a 2-1 win against Newcastle. And Tottenham shocked the world today by beating Manchester United 3-0 at Old Trafford. I'm Alex. In here with Javier, Andrew is off once again for tonight. He'll, we'll hear from him later about the Liverpool match, but he'll be... Uh, hey guys, how you guys doing? How you doing, Javier? I'm doing well. It's good to, good to be back on the show. It's, uh, I'm starting to get back into the, into the swing of, you know, these regular pods. Finally, with a good result for Arsenal to uh, to, to, yeah, to help decent you out a result. Bit. I can I can I can not be depressed for this for this entire pod, it's, you know, which usually happens if it's admittedly easier. If Arsenal has a bad result. It's admittedly it's admittedly easier to go onto the pod after your team has won a game. Like there's some weeks where Chelsea right. have just performed terribly that I've just been like I would You're rather like, do uh, anything else <laughs> than go on this pod. But, but you yeah. got to think to yourself, well, you know, I've got to I've got to be there in the bad times as well as the good. So Chelsea won a league title, and I was there for every single pod, uh, every single pod. But the next season wasn't so great. Still had to show up. Uh, yeah, let's start with arguably, well, probably the second most shocking result of the weekend. Uh, starting Saturday at 7.30 a.m., Wolves drew with Manchester City 1-1 at home. They had a set-piece goal from Willie Bolly in the 57th minute that uh, pretty clearly hit his hand. It was not called. Uh, VAR probably would have caught that. And Manchester City equalized in the 69th minute behind Johan Laporte's set-piece header. Where do you want to start with this one? Because I do feel like Wolves like deserved a point from this game. But at the same time, if you're Manchester City, you feel like pretty aggrieved that you weren't able to win this one 3-1 or 4-1. Yeah, I think that obviously... Manchester will feel aggrieved. Aguero hit the bar what I think twice? three times, think twice. two times, and someone else hit someone else hit the uh, the woodwork. Sterling from for that. City. Rui Sterling. Patricio, great save right. that he had in the first half. And and I mean, yeah, I would I would definitely feel hard done if I was Manchester City, especially because the Wolves' goal was a handball, and if VAR existed in the league. Um, this would have easily been a, a, a win for Manchester City. Honestly, how didn't the um, the linesman on the other side see that? <laughs> like that, yeah, I think that was that was crazy that the linesman didn't see it. I mean, he he, he was in line with the play. He was clearly could see the ball. Um, you know, you couldn't really see it from the angle that the that the camera had. Um, but then the ref didn't have a great angle either. I think that Laporte. This was probably the best that he's played in a Manchester City shirt. I thought he was really really good this game. Obviously, he got the goal, but. Um, he might be a, a regular mainstay in that team and, and might just keep up an Ultimendi out of this team for this season, which would be interesting. Um, 
if you know if company stays fit, how those two look. Uh, but but talking about wolves, surprisingly enough, like they they're definitely the looks look to be the pick of the teams coming up. You know, this is a big result already against the champions from last season, and and I don't think anyone really thought of this. We all had them getting blown out, so we were we were super wrong on that. But then again, we we were mentioning how wolves definitely in our eyes had the chance to to, to threaten Manchester City. We didn't think that they could win or anything, but we definitely thought that they. They, they were direct enough and good enough at playing in like a direct fashion that they could get at Manchester City's defense and like threaten them a little bit. It was just a matter of whether they'd take the chances or not. It turns out they got a bit lucky on the other end with Manchester City missing a few uh, touches or sorry chances and maybe uh, there was a penalty shout that wasn't given. So right. I mean, it's I, I think for Manchester City it's not really like you don't have to be worried or anything. It was just kind of like an unlucky day at the office. Like that very easily could have been. The kind of uh, result that Chelsea, who we'll talk about later, could have gotten at Newcastle. So I'm sure Manchester City will go on to win like five or six of their of their next games, like at least. So this this shouldn't be too right. Much we blur. were looking at their fixtures, and this was probably the most difficult of the next you know six fixtures or so. So until they played Liverpool, this was the hardest game they had. So let's move on to Arsenal. They beat West Ham 3-1 on Saturday at 10 a.m. 3 p.m. English time. Arnautovic opened the scoring for the Hammers. In the 25th minute, uh, it took five minutes for Arsenal to get back level as a Nacho Monreal leveled in the 30th minute. Arsenal finally broke through with the winner from a uh, dupe own goal in the 70th minute forced by Alexandre Lacazette. And Welbeck sealed the game up in the 92nd minute for Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, glad that we finally got on board. I, I'm, you know, I'm ecstatic that like that first half looked awful. Like I'm really happy we were able to get a result that looked somewhat comfortable in the end, but it was definitely sloppy. Um, and you know, this is the type of result that I was expecting. You know, I wasn't expecting us to. You know, I, we we both said four one, and Andrew actually got this prediction right. He yeah. said three one Arsenal. Uh, I thought the first half like we were definitely nervous, um, and them getting that first goal was a, definitely a wake up call. For the team, and I'm glad that we responded quickly. You guys which had is, a whole seems bunch be- of wake up calls. There were three clear chances for West Ham to score in that first half. They, yeah, they, yeah, they were more no, clinical. They, like, they had they, some they could really have been good chances off to the races. Definitely, definitely. I mean, and we would have gotten punished against a bigger team like we did against Chelsea. You know, it, it was a similar first half to what happened in the Chelsea game. And second half, once we brought on Lacazette, the game definitely changed, and Torreira as well. Um, and I love that Unai Emery makes changes at halftime and early in, early in the second half so that players can actually make a difference in the games. It's such a refreshing thing to Wenger, yeah. who would never make a change before like the 70th minute, you know? Right. And he would always bring on the same people and try the same things. Um, I really like that, you know, we're in a transition phase and... This year, obviously, like top four is the goal, and you know maybe Europa League if possible. But I can definitely see a big stylistic difference. Whereas, like we're not looking so much for the possession game now. Other teams are getting a little bit more possession against us, but we're looking to play more counterattacking. Obviously, we have more. But at the same um, time, you are trying to press now. pretty high up the field compared to how you would under Wenger. Definitely, which which is I mean, this is a completely different style. It's it's, it's interesting getting used to it. I'm like. You know, I'm used to us having more possession, more of the ball. Um, I think the players are too, and it's going to take them a little while to adjust to this type of style. Like you'd almost, um, you'd almost, you'd almost want to try and get more of the ball to kind of counteract how poor you guys have looked defensively. 
with a little bit more possession right. and control of the game. But like Emery seems to be kind of, or that, that seems to be counterintuitive, I guess, to Emery. Like he doesn't want to to do that. Whereas like the likes of Guardiola, Klopp, Sorry, that's how they they attempt to defend is through uh, possession of the ball. Like why do you think that is? Like what? Like what's like, is the is the plan that he only wants to win the ball in like higher up positions to try and create chances to attack? And to do that, you have to not have the ball or something. I, I'm not sure exactly what what his philosophy is yet. It's only three games in, and it, it kind of looked like he's kind he's of had, he's trying out some different things. It's forming with the players he has. Exactly. Sure. I think he's just he's still feeling out like what's the best team. I, I don't understand the Xhaka start this game. I think every Arsenal fan's screaming for Torreira to start yeah. instead of him, and and everyone wants to see Torreira, Ramsey, Guendouzi in the midfield. And frankly, it's the second game in a row where Torreira has looked better than Xhaka when he's come on. Exactly. And this game, Xhaka stayed on the whole game. It was because we, we needed more offensive threat, and we obviously really needed to win this game. I think Emery sees him as more of an attacking option than Torreira and sees Torreira as more defensive. Yeah. Um, I think t- he sees Torreira as the most defensive of all of our midfielders. Maybe Guendouzi, I don't know. Guendouzi does seem to be starting every game and making a lot of tackles. And this was definitely his his worst game for us. Um, he didn't. He seemed like he was a little tired. You know, we'll see how many games he can play this season and how many he can start. I doubt he can. You know, go from uh, being a league to being in League Two to starting. You know, thirty plus games in the Premier League. So we'll see how long is this form can last and how long he can play. There's been players who have looked good before at this age for a few games here and there, and then they fall off. So. Well, yeah, like I said to you, I, I hope be, that he can keep it. I up. said to you after the final whistle of that Arsenal game the, uh, the other day that he might have looked bad because they were playing against a team that was sitting off a little bit uh, more from them. Like West Ham weren't like dominant in possession; they had their chances and were able to play around with it from time to time. But like, right. uh, there weren't acres of space in behind uh, West Ham's defense for Guendouzi to try and like pick out these nice long passes. You see him sort of open up Chelsea's defense with so. Uh, it's a different kind of challenge for him to to get to get used to in the Premier League, playing for a like a top team like that. So let's move on to uh, real quick, just to mention Bournemouth and Everton was a crazy game as I uh, predicted it would be two two. Yeah, wow, two red cards. Uh, Michael Keane got injured uh, somewhere in like the last ten or fifteen minutes. Yeah, apparently he fr- he fractured a skull or it was something. The same, it looks like it's a bad. It's injury. the same injury that uh, Ryan Mason had for uh, Hull. And he had to, and he ended up retiring because of it at like twenty three. But oh, Michael, man. let's hope. But that, Michael uh, Keane's, it's a hairline uh, fracture of the of the skull, and skull, it's supposedly yeah. it's only going to keep him uh, out of uh, training until for like a month or something, and then he can get back to training. So it's it, it sounds really bad, but then they came out with like the diagnosis and everything, and just said he'll he'll be back in like a month or two. So ended up not being. Too crazy. Let's hope that he recovers well. Uh, Richarlison getting sending off, sent off was every was really fantasy big in this player's game. nightmare. <laughs> right. I just brought him into my team, so I was pretty pissed off that that happened. Same thing happened last year when I, I when I wild carded. I got a red card, so I, it's bad luck. I brought bad luck onto him by bringing him into my team. Sorry, everybody. Let me mention the the goals real quick. Theo Walcott opened the scoring in the 56th minute. Michael Keane, the man we mentioned before, who got injured later in the match, uh, scored Everton second in the 66th minute. And then a Josh King penalty and a Nathan Ake set piece four minutes apart from each other in the 75th and 79th minute. Leveled it up for Bournemouth, who now have 
something like 24 points from, from losing, losing positions, positions yeah. since the start wow. of last season. So uh, I'll definitely take that under account when uh, Chelsea face Bournemouth next week. <laughs> Huddersfield drew 0-0 with Cardiff, just a Jonathan Hogg red card in the 63rd minute to mention there. Southampton uh, lost in the 92nd minute to Leicester City with a Harry Maguire thunderbolt from outside of the box. Ryan Bertrand opened the scoring for Southampton in the 52nd minute, and Damari Gray opened his account for the season for Leicester in the 56th minute. Before that uh, aforementioned Harry Maguire goal. Finally got a result right this season. Yeah, Javier, on the board. First result. (laughs) Yeah, I guess this is the time to mention we've switched the the, the scoring system up for our uh, predictions because I got lazy and couldn't keep track of how we were scoring it last year. So that's why I kind of tailed off last season. But we're going to stick to it this year. Uh, We're going to do it so that every week uh, when we pick, the three of us pick our uh, results for the week, whoever picks the most uh, results right gets one point. If there's two of us that tie and get the same results right, then it's one point for each of them. And if all three of us tie, then it's zero points for that week. So right now, me and Andrew are, uh, I think, tied with two points each. And Javier, you have one. So congratulations, Javier. You're on the board. Yeah, 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 yeah. Liverpool beat Brighton 1-0 at Anfield. Mohamed Salah scored in the 23rd minute. And at Liverpool, uh, I don't want to say held on for dear life, but they did uh, They did have to do a little bit of fighting there at the end. More, yeah, more... Allison made some great saves, like Andrew, uh, like Andrew mentioned right. there. Uh, actually, let's hear from Andrew right now. Andrew. Hey, guys, what's up? It's Andrew, live from New York. Uh, big win for Liverpool over the weekend. Uh, really, really impressed with Allison again. Fantastic saves. Great footwork when he uh, when he chipped that player for Brighton. Honestly, I don't think I could have ever been as, as excited about a goalkeeper as I was in that moment. Uh, not the most clinical day again at the office for the Reds, but they got the goal they needed. A really solid shot by Salah. And again, credit to Brighton because they defended well. They didn't really get up the pitch for a ton of quality chances, and, and when they did, Allison defended them well, but I will say I was really, really impressed with Brighton's uh, compactness, stability. While while they obviously lost and get, didn't get the result that they wanted, um, I was impressed with them nonetheless. Uh, Vinaldum continues to impress. That midfield three of Milner, Wijnaldum, and Keita looks like it could be something that they keep going to. Fabinho will get filtered in more and more over the coming weeks, but I was generally really impressed with the way the team looked. In particular, like I said, Allison, man of the match. Um, hopefully they can uh, get the offense going up again a little bit, but another solid performance. Still having conceded. Only team in the Premier League that hasn't conceded. Pretty surprising when we're talking about that Liverpool defense. All right, guys, follow us on Twitter at Andrew Passaro, at ASMOS92, and at Ghost Gold Pod. And back to the guys. All right, thanks, Andrew, for sending in your two cents about Liverpool's 1 0 win over Brighton this weekend. The Allison flick was impressive. <laughs> that's probably. The, yeah, that was, I, I mean, that's that was. I did not know he could do that. That is. I, uh, I, that's I, very bold and takes a lot of skill. Javier, I think the but, answer uh, to that question is that all keepers think they can do that. It's just only the, the only a special few have the confidence to actually try it in a game. And Allison, right. Allison's a guy right now who just had like a breakout season at Roma, fr- went from sitting on the bench at Roma to being Brazil's starting goalkeeper and playing in the World Cup to getting a record move to Liverpool after getting to the quarter, the semifinals of the Champions League last year. You got to think that his he he's just he only held that record for like yeah <laughs> like maybe like a couple of weeks couple of weeks give him the record right. for a couple of weeks 
But you got to think that his confidence is at like an all time high right now. For yeah, Liverpool, like he said, are the only team not to concede. I mean, that's that's awesome. And he's um, like a very very pivotal factor behind that because I know yeah. Andrew mentioned that like there was a few like half chances that Brighton had, but I thought a few of those were really good chances. There was a knock uh, knock chance in the uh, middle of the second half where he had it, yeah, he had it a on couple his left chances. on the volley and he just he just put it wide. And then I think uh, what's his name? Glenn Murray got on the end of a cross later that Allison was able to make a great uh, save on. But that usually would be a goal, and they they were very close to not getting the three points there today. And the, so I think it's a good result for Liverpool in that, like everyone says, this is the kind of game they would have drawn in uh, in years past. And obviously, the acquisitions of players like Van Dijk and Allison have kept them from doing that. So maybe Liverpool have a real uh, title challenge on their hands. We don't know. Yeah, definitely. Let's move on to, real quickly, Watford beat Crystal Palace on Sunday morning, 2-1. Pereira opened the scoring for Watford in the 53rd minute. They doubled their lead in the 71st minute with a uh, fluke cross-turned shot by uh, Holobas. Beautiful shot. And uh, then Max Meyer and Wilfred Zaha linked up in the 78th minute to give Palace a uh, small glimmer of hope. But uh it was not to be. It was an exciting game, though. You and I woke up and watched that on Sunday morning. It was pretty good. Fulham beat Burnley 4-2 in the second home game of their season. First points on the board for Fulham. Jean-Michel Serri opened the scoring in uh, the fourth minute with an absolute thunderbolt. I don't think it's uh, over the top to say. Uh, Jeff Hendrick equalized in the tenth minute before a Mitrovic brace in the 36th and 38th minute uh, blew the game wide open. Uh, Tarkowski got one back in the 41st minute. And Andre Sherlo opened his account for the for the year uh, in the 83rd minute, scoring off of Mitrovic's uh, rebounded shot. So, great great game for Fulham. They probably would have wanted a performance like this in their home opener on the first day against Crystal Palace, but their uh, possession didn't turn into like really good chances like it did today. But this is, is I'm guessing this is more of what you expect to see from Fulham, like just good attacking football against teams that will, will want to sit off the ball against them. Right. This is what I expect to see from them at Craven Cottage. And this is definitely their their introduction to the Premier League. I think we saw the best of, you know, some of their new signings in this game, like, you know, Sari and uh, Andre Schuler, as well as Mitrovic, who, you know, Already having a year with this team and now being signed seems to, and you know, already having an, uh, a couple of years of Premier League experience in his belt, you know, this guy could easily be getting 15, 20 goals this year uh, for Fulham right. if if they have if they score as many goals as as they look to be, you know, capable of scoring in, in during this year. Um, I think especially at home that they're going to be a, a really good option. Now defensively, they look they look pretty dreadful. They're still um, figuring out that side of it. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think they could easily concede. You know, it, it, un- until they figure that out, you know, you could see, you could see in games against big teams, they could concede. You know, three, four, five goals. So I think uh, they, they'll be a fun team to watch this year, and I hope that they can keep this up. Burnley, on the other hand, it looks like you know Europa League is yeah. I'm gonna have to is, is having a little toll. I'm gonna on have them. to uh, throw my hands up and apologize for uh, last week. I mistakenly said on the podcast that. Uh, Burnley did not have a Europa League game the Thursday before this week's uh, Premier League. And uh, I could not have been more wrong. I Googled it in the middle of recording that podcast and looked up when's Burnley's next game. And it listed away at Fulham as the next game. So I was just like, okay, I guess they don't have Europa League this week. But they uh, had to go to Greece and play Olympiacos. They lost 3-1 on Thursday, basically ending their uh, Champions League hopes, and, or their, sorry, their Europa League hopes, unless they uh, beat 
Olympiacos 2-0 at home or something this Thursday. So they were coming off the back of that result, a long trip out to Greece on a Thursday and coming back to uh, to play in London on the Sunday. Yeah, it's not it's not surprising. They 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 that that's shown in their Premier League form these last uh, two weeks after the 3-1 loss uh, at home to Watford. So maybe them getting knocked out of the Europa League is for the best. Maybe they can just re- sort of refocus on the Premier League, get another mid-table spot, maybe finish just outside of the top 10. But that would still be a good season for Burnley. Let's move on to Chelsea. Chelsea beat Newcastle 2-1 at St. James's Park Sunday at 11 a.m., same time as uh, Fulham and Burnley was going on. It was kind of a, uh, I'll say it, kind of a boring game. One-sided, 80% possession for Chelsea, and then it blew open in the 76th minute as uh, Marcus Alonso was fouled in the box and Eden Hazard scored a penalty. Then Newcastle came roaring back, scoring through uh, Jossaloo, and a few minutes later in the 87th minute, DeAndre Yedlin conceded an own goal from a Marcus Alonso shot. Chelsea winning at St. James's Park for the first time since, I want to say, like 2010, 2011, something like that. Uh, I know they've been out of the league for a couple of years during that span, but at the same time, I think we'd only drawn like one or two of those games when we'd gone up there. Every other time we'd lost. So this was a big deal to keep playing the way Sarri wants to play and get the win, albeit in a very, very ugly fashion. To me, at this point, I don't really care. I just want us to concede as few chances as possible to score as many goals as we can, obviously, and just try to like limit mistakes and see where we end up in games. If we ended up drawing that game one, one, I would have been maybe like a little disappointed, but at the same time, I feel like we were, we didn't create so many amazing chances that we absolutely 100% like deserve to win. It's the kind of game that like, if Chelsea were further along in like the developmental process, I'd be thinking like, we're going to win the league or something like that. But because it's so early still, I'm just kind of thinking like, eh, we got lucky. Like Newcastle didn't really attack us. The only time they really did, they were able to score. So like we're still not there yet, like defensively. We had 80% possession and still somehow conceded a goal. Like that's I'm guessing you're very confident now that you're gonna finish top four, right? Like you 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 pretty much see that as a foregone conclusion. It seems like Chelsea fans seem to think that they, these three games I mean, are we kind of thought that before you know, this is what's like w- yeah, with exactly. the players I mean, think about the players it. we have at Chelsea realistically we shouldn't be finishing outside of the top 4 the only thing that's been causing us to finish outside of the top 4 but you've four, done it twice in the last 4 years yeah and maybe that's like a different side of these players i think that's why a lot of people maybe wanted uh, a bit more turnover in the squad to try and sort of weed out the players that maybe are cultivating this like on again off again atmosphere at at the bridge where like you know one year everything gels like marvelously it's become a trend now and then the following year after you've reached like a a, a a fragment of success or reach like any kind of success everything just drops completely off and the players get sick of whoever their manager is like right who's to say that if like sorry won the league this year we wouldn't just turn around and just be like disinterested next year and the same thing would happen you know it's it's a lot of people think it's like in the players there so that's something to consider but like i'm not i'm not, I'm not getting ahead of myself and thinking we can win the league at this point only three games in but i am i I was assuming before the season, we should make top four. If we don't make top four, then that's a problem. And maybe sorry, they, maybe sorry needs to be fired in that case. But I don't like, but that's, that's just how Chelsea fans think. But we watched this game together. Uh, that penalty for Marcus Alonso, yes or no? Do you remember it? Um, yeah, I just, I don't, I think it was. I think it was a penalty. I mean, it was soft, but I think that you have to give it because. It seemed like Alonso still had control of the ball right, he was gonna after score. the tackle. Like, like the player did get the ball, 
But Alonzo still had the ball. Like, it didn't matter that the player touched it. Alonzo was still, like, in control. So Alonzo was still um, capable of staying on his feet and, 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 and scoring. getting yes, to that I ball I thought he score. was going to score that. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I thought it was a penalty. I thought it was it was borderline, but uh, it was a good call from the ref. And um, so a lot of the American, I think Chelsea, uh, a lot of the American pundits were saying that. Well, they weren't American, but pundits in America for the American broadcast were saying that they thought it wasn't a penalty. I was just sitting there thinking, are these guys blind? Like, do they not know like what the call is? Like, maybe this is why there's so much controversy. Like, maybe no one has any idea what the actual rules are. Right. <laughs> They definitely right, they're just, they they're just kind of like up. winging it like in the moment. It's crazy to watch. But anyway, that uh, Jocelyn equalizer, Giroud got yeah. elbowed in the face. Right. So that should have been called that back. That should have been called back. I mean, I wasn't I, I thought you I thought you guys deserved to win overall. I mean, Newcastle played a good game. They they defended extremely well for about 70 minutes. Um, you guys didn't really get many good chances at all. Like they Newcastle, it, right. it looked to be like it was a day that you guys might might get frustrated. You know, I think especially I, when the Newcastle Pedro, equalizer went Pedro in. Pedro and Hazard both they, had a few very, like very good opportunities that no, like very Pedro like, Pedro, like, Pedro, Pedro had like two very good opportunities that like on another day you'd expect him to score at least like one of those. So like. It's a game that like yeah, we, but it's it's the fantasy player curse. Every time every <laughs> time you bring a player who's been doing well like that in, they always miss the chances the next game. You know, like it's just it's just what happens. Like if Kane scores a hat trick tomorrow, everyone's gonna bring him in, and he's definitely not getting any goals the next game. It's just how it all works. Yeah, I guess so. Tottenham finally did it after f- their last four losses at Old Trafford. They went north and beat Man United three nil. Kane opened the scoring for Tottenham in the 50th minute. Lucas Moura scored in the 52nd and 84th minute. And maybe Tottenham fans are wondering to themselves, uh, who is uh, Han Ming Sun? <laughs> Do you think Lucas Moura is playing so well that Sun like, doesn't get back in the team? I think it's going to take him a little while. I think it might take him a lot. He's currently at the Asia you know. Games, for anyone who's not aware. Right, so I might. I think it might take him a couple of months to get back into the team. But, no, but yeah, Lucas Moore is playing awesome. I mean, he missed some opportunities in the last game, too, um, against Newcastle. Against Fulham. And, uh, oh, Fulham, right. yeah. And I, I'm thinking of picking up in, in fantasy because he's looked he's looked like a good player and he looks like he's going to have a good run in the squad for the next month or so. So he's got good goal scoring um, pedigree. He's got a good, yeah, he's got good, good goal pairing pedigree. He's, he's super quick that he took that second goal brilliantly. Right, the, the, uh, the change um, of pace he had where he sort of broke away from the defender. Yeah. I didn't know he was capable of that. That was something from him. No, nor did I, I hadn't nor seen did I PSG much. And I think everyone's talking, I, I think everyone's <laughs> talking about this game in, from the mindset of, how terrible for Manchester United. But I just wanted to do the Tottenham fans uh, a little service. So everyone's been framing it from the standpoint of how terrible it is for United that they lost at home 3-0. And it is terrible. We'll get to them in a second. But I just wanted to start out the discussion of this game by saying to the Tottenham fans, congratulations. You guys went and not only did you guys beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge for the first time in uh, 30 years back in April or May or whatever it was, they've now gone to Old Trafford and they've beaten... Jose Mourinho's Manchester United when that had been a really, really difficult fixture for them. It's, it's, it's a very big step for this Tottenham team. And I think in the past when I've sort of been poking fun at Tottenham, it's been at how the fans have kind of like celebrated mediocrity, celebrated like doing well in the league, but not quite winning it. And like celebrated getting really far in the FA Cup and League Cup and Champions League, but not really doing anything with it. And 
I think it's fair for them to come out and say, hey, our team is a title contender. They have like they have to have that confidence. And I think a win like this will make Tottenham fans be more confident in their team's ability to get consistent results for the rest of the season. So it's it's a pretty big step forward for them. Yeah, this is a massive win for them, and I don't think anyone saw it coming. I had United winning, and um, you know, we, I think you had United winning as well. Andrew did have Tottenham winning, so you know, props to him for at least thinking that that was a possibility. I mean, I really thought that United were going to bounce back in this game, and they really did well in this in the first half. They played well. They had some chances. Romelu Lukaku had that absolute. Gift. I mean, I mean, just a, Christmas just an morning, unbelievable chance to miss. <sighs> Like uh, that, like I'm sure Mourinho is going to be pulling his hair. You know, he he did say in the press conference after the game that, you know, he thought that they should have been up at least two goals, if not three, in that first half. And and I I can't begrudge him that. I mean, the all all of Tottenham's goals came in the second half, and you know, uh, they came off of a, a a mistake on a corner, leaving Harry Kane by himself in the box. I mean, Phil Jones I think was brought off right after that, wasn't he? No, a little um, bit later in the game. Uh, he he was he was okay. injured later in the game and brought off. I don't know if he was injured on that play, but he just left Kane unmarked, and and I mean it's that's that's atrocious if if you're you know up against the the the, the guy who's been the top goal scorer of the last you know three or four years in the Premier League. We can talk about Manchester United defensively in the second half in a second, but first the that first half I think Mourinho's maybe slightly overplaying how good United were in the first half. The, it's undeniable. They definitely were it's, more attacking than they've been this whole year. But it's, undeni- it's undeniable how uh, like how big of a chance that Lukaku chance was. Like that's basically that's the formula for Jose Mourinho. Is you, you right? Uh, okay. Like I guess United were the more aggressive of the two teams in the first half, but that was from a basic I think uh, like trick that Mourinho played. Uh, making Pochettino think he was going to play a back four and then starting with a back five with both wingbacks, Sean Valencia, like really high up the field. So uh, right away they had overloads on both sides of the field and Tottenham weren't anticipating United playing with a back three and two really high wingbacks. So they got really uh, like sort of frazzled. Well, no, Tottenham (laughs) just weren't able to press them. Tottenham were way too narrow and weren't able to press the wide areas because of how much spe- like space it would give up to the opposite side, and they could United you know, could just recycle the ball and switch it to the opposite side. So it was it was a pretty good like initial tactical move by Mourinho. But once they got into halftime and Pochettino was able to sort of like rejiggle things himself to sort of account for those those two wide fullbacks, Tottenham to- Tottenham looked the way better of the of both teams. They looked far more comfortable on the ball once they knew they could uh, uh, play it around a bit more comfortably without having to fear United winning it back and then all of a sudden Tottenham being out of position and unable to press them. So they just ripped United to pieces. Once you, once there was like any sort of like foot in the game for Tottenham, their passing and attacking play just kind of did the rest. Like United centre-backs, whether it's, like you mentioned, Jones on the set pieces or Lindelof coming on as a substitute and just, oh. He looked atrocious it's, coming it's, on. It's, it's, it doesn't look good for them. Like the center back, the, the players just straight up aren't good enough. And I think a bit of that blame needs to go on Mourinho for getting someone like Lindelof in the first place and then having him just basically. Spending the money, yeah. Spending the money million, they did like, on these players. You, you can't just like only demand new players when your first like initial signings don't pay off. So. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 unfortunate for United because there's some things there that you don't really see how they're going to improve at because 
at the same time, even though they they, they may make, well, they're struggling defensively, they're not exactly setting the world alight going forward either. While they are playing, they're like some of their best players. Their best players just aren't. I mean, I think I think their only ray is going to be if Alexis can can pull out another you know fifteen twenty goal season and and, and get them in the top four. I, I don't think it's going to come from Lukaku. I don't think it's going to come from Pogba. Um, you know, they don't really have many natural leaders in that team, and Alexis is a leader. And if they rally around him, I, I know what that guy is capable of. So I know that he could do something like that, but. I think that they they really need to find their identity as a team. They don't seem to have one right now. Um, it doesn't seem like Mourinho really has figured out what he wants to do with that team. I think he always has has had this defensive identity, but I think it's clear that at Manchester United that that identity is not good enough. That's not what the fans want to see. And the fans at the end of this game were were cheering the team on because they attacked. Well, they were what, what little fans more, were left. A lot of them left. Yeah, but I mean, I still think it was impressive to see that that the fans were still, you know, they they were happy with the performance enough to to cheer and not boo the team like in the Sevilla game last year. Off I the think pitch, they so. might have reached peak delusion. <laughs> if that's the case, maybe they You're have. Cheered. Maybe You're they applauding have, the manager after a three 0 loss to Tottenham. No offense, Tottenham fans. No, I think they were applauding the players. I think the effort of the players. Like Mourinho and was the one the, walking the up change to the fans. And picked up like a scarf and put it around his neck and was like clapping all of the fans and standing there and just sort of like. Blowing yeah, kisses. he was appreciating like, them. They were clapping I, I like right when back. managers do that. I was just like, why are you applauding a 3-0 loss at home? Like, I guess that's their way of saying we still believe in you. Exactly. Like, yeah, they're, like, they're trying for the train not to get derailed. They're, you they're, really they're supporting the team. still believe in him at this point? It's three games in, Alex. But two of those uh, Antonio games, Conte, Hold on, hold on. Goals. Antonio Conte, yes. And Antonio Conte did the same thing in his first three games, and he won the league. So let's not make jumping, sweeping conclusions over these first three he games. Lost two, one, saying he lost 2-1 at home to Liverpool, and then he lost 3-0 away to Arsenal. That right. wasn't So he conceded a bunch of goals. He lost his two out of his opening th- first three games. Didn't look good. Is this uh, and still turn the whole season uh, around? Javier, I'm just are you saying. Still predicting Man United to finish in the top four? I don't know yet. I'm, well, I'm not you, early enough. You, you to, were getting yourself there, and uh, then you're sh- you shied yeah, away I'm from just it saying, at the last don't, second. Don't count them out yet. Oh, okay. All right, that's the soundbite. Yeah. That's the hot take soundbite that we'll uh, replay forever and ever and ever. Okay, that wraps it up for us here at the Ghost Bowl Pod. Hope you enjoyed our recap of all the last weekend's action. Keep a lookout this uh, Thursday night, Friday morning for a new episode previewing uh, next weekend. We've got one more weekend before the international break. Then maybe around the international break, we can do a sort of like Champions League group preview or something like that. We'll, uh, we'll keep our options open. You'll be hearing from us here at the Ghost Call Pod. But uh, until next time, thanks again, Javier. Follow us on uh, social media at ASMOS, at Andrew Pissarro. Javier, get a Twitter. Once again, get a Twitter at Ghost Goal Pod. Until next time, see ya.